So, did you actually know that Fred Durst was in like multiple video games? What? <laughs> this is actually true. So, in in like the late nineties, Fred Durst. When remember when Undertaker's theme song changed from Kid Rock's American Badass to Rollin' by Limp Bizkit? I was aware that Limp Bizkit had a connection to wrestling, but I was never like that on the well, ball with it. You can unlock Fred Durst in SmackDown <sighs> as a character to play as. It's very, it's, it's very of its time, shall we say? But then, like, you've had like hip hop fighting games. Oh yeah, Def Jam is balling. Not Absolutely. that like I'm not saying that like Limp Bizkit hip hop, but like you know, just having like celebrities in video games. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean like. Hideo Kojima's whole thing now is we're going to have celebs be actors in games, you know? Yeah, but, but that's like, it's kind of like a high-budget movie. Like, even the promotion for, like, Death Stranding was like, it had a, it had a soundtrack. You know, like, they had proper, like, artists do songs exclusively for it, and it was a whole thing, like... It was. Yeah. It was balling. Like, I got the Platinum Trophy, baby. I've never played that game. I've watched many people struggle with it, but... I thought it was incredible. Anyway. Yes. We are... Media illiteracy. Indeed we are. <laughs> to my right is the right honourable gentleman. Mr. Chris. No, I'm Chris. Hello. I'll just go by Chris. Nice. Nice. What do you, what's your thing, Chris? What's your favourite things right now? My favourite thing? Oh, no. You can't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> I, no. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like weird video games that annoy people with how like derivative they are, but also like kind of push the medium as like games as art i don't know i'm sure we'll get in depth about some strange buggery like that but anyway who are you to my left my name is matthew sometimes called haywood but mostly matthew yeah <laughs> but uh yeah i'd say that we probably have very different taste in games because i very much play games to achieve like stupid high scores and achievements and stuff i'm a plan and trophy chaser and all that well following that logic then what's your favorite thing because right now it is probably Tetris 99. I'm pretty hooked on that. You're still um, on the Tetris hype. You've been saying about this for ages. Well, yeah. Like, if you look at the number of hours I have played playing Tetris 99, it's like o over 500 at this point. And then on Tetris Effect, between the PS4 and PS5 version, I've got like 270 hours. So... Yeah, and I've been playing that shit since I got a Game Boy in the 90s. Nice, nice. If we were going by, like, hours of play time as, like, what constitutes your, like, favourite game, sadly mine is the, the Truck Simulator series. <laughs> but I'd say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, because if we go by hours played as well, since the PS5 now tracks that stuff, um, I've got over 666 hours in modern warfare remastered and ultra street fighter 4 so yeah, yeah. So, like i didn't have you down as like a cod player uh yeah so i'm gonna be honest i got into call of duty with my friends who i used to play world of warcraft with back okay. in 2008 Ah, okay, yeah. When I got my PS3, I already had Devil May Cry 4 because the Steelbook came out and I was like, I've got to have this game. The Devil May Cry series is super important. We'll talk about that sometime. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, my mates were like, get Modern Warfare. And I was like, okay. 
And then I really enjoyed it, but I was playing on like a shitty CRT TV that was like 15 inches. So oh, I couldn't man, fucking see anyone in the distance or anything. Yeah, yeah. So like, and, would, and I didn't upgrade that until I got like an LCD TV in 2010 when um, Final Fantasy 13 released. So it's, yeah, it's kind of funny that there's like that, not pre-HD, but like there was that stepping stone where like some people would have like HD TVs or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um and then the consoles could do it, uh, but like a lot of people weren't using them to that capability at all. And to be honest, most of the marketing was like, "Hey, buy these really shitty HD ready ones that don't even do." Oh yeah, the HD ready was like a seven twenty p resolution. Well, seven twenty resolution. Yeah, that's... but like you know, we we were kind of almost reaching HD with the PS two because it could output some games at ten eighty i if you had a component cable. Yeah, that that thing was like ungodly in how capable it was like mm. it's kind of scary that like someone was like hey this tech is going to exist one day let's try and like use it because mm-hmm. like if you play something like uh final fantasy 10 or final fantasy 12 with the 1080i like resolution setting it looked really crisp like oh, is that one of the games because like i was mm. under the impression that it was only maybe one of the gran turismo games that i mean could do it definitely they would be there because you know gran turismo is one of you know sony's big showcase games for how their consoles perform yeah at least until they kind of figured out the kind of third person action adventure thing with uncharted and then subsequently the last of us and things like that and now god of war horizon etc like but the thing is i feel like where the sony first party exclusives are going is not something I necessarily want to play as much anymore because mm. while I do enjoy Uncharted, it's one of my favorite series, and The Last of Us, I initially played in two, 2013 when it came out, but I was kind of like, eh, it's good, but I don't get what everyone else is getting out of it. Yeah, it's kind of the weird thing, especially if you're like, not necessarily following the hype, but if you're like sort of buying into it based on word of mouth, you're like, I've heard about this because someone else recommended it to me and they never talk about games. And if they're talking about it, it must be good. Well, the thing is, I, I did kind of go into it with a lot of hype because the Uncharted trilogy had just finished up. Um, and at that point, we didn't know we were going to get any more Uncharted games. Oh, wait, um, so is the developer the same? Yeah, Naughty Dog. Ah, Naughty the same Dog, people yeah. who made Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter series, um, Fucking, what else have they even done? But you're always like, all of them are like, it's a Sony developer, isn't it? Basically, like they're they're they are first party games. I mean, I'm not sure if like Sony owned them. I'd have to look that up. In all honesty, yeah, but, it's like, kind of weird to like commit to saying something that could be considered as a fact. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't want to like, but I know that they mainly develop first party games for Sony, mm-hmm. and you know. I mean, we almost didn't even get The Last of Us because, uh, okay, so do you remember when my 27th birthday in uni, when everyone came around and they were playing PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale? Yeah. So that game was offered to Naughty Dog to develop. And they were like, no, actually, we don't want to make a fighting game right now. We've got an idea for a, for a game a narrative style game that hasn't kind of been done before in in all honesty so like we want to do that instead so you know there is a timeline where naughty dog made playstation all-stars instead of the last of us 
Oh, no, that, that kind of sounds like the same. It's like the, on the flip side of that, like if they did it, it would have been sort of a tragedy, like with what Microsoft did to Rare when they bought them. Because like I was watching one of the, the, well, the YouTuber you recommended, was it Matty McMuscles? Matt McMuscles. Yeah, yeah, Matt yeah. McMuscles, yeah. Um, Follow me as like uh, what happened to like Conquer's Bad Fur Day, like the video, like the whole thing on that. And like I had no idea that like, like if you want to buy a copy of Conquer's Bad Fur Day now, it's really hard to find. It's mm. rare. It's expensive. People are like, I need that in my collection. But at the time, it, it sort of bombed when it came out. And then Rare got bought by Microsoft. And then Microsoft owned Conquer as a character. And they've just done terrible shit games. And it's like... It feels like the opposite of that because, like, they made like there was a Connect stuff. Yeah, they basically made Rare their kind of Connect developer, and then I think we got—is it Skull and Bones? Their like ship game. Oh, um, or is it Sea of Thieves? Sea of Thieves. They, they, sea of they Thieves. both kind of got announced at the same time. Yeah. One of them isn't out yet still because I think Skull and Bones is the one that isn't out yet. It's, it's the Ubisoft game. Yeah, isn't that the one where it's like it's based off of part in Assassin's it Creed? It was gonna be like an expansion to Black Flag, yeah, and cause... then they decided to make it its own game, which is kind of like okay, but now it's been in like development hell, and there's probably going to be a Matt McMuscles What Happened video when that comes out. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, but then, so yeah, with, with Naughty Dog, played The Last of Us, and I was like, it's all right. And then when I got my first PS4, I got the remastered game, and I was like, I'll give this game another go. And I found it better the second playthrough, because I think, like, my own outlook on life and things had changed. So, like, I was able to empathize a bit more with Joel's choice, even though he kind of made a pretty selfish decision at the end of that game. I'm going to just just cut you off a sec. I have never played these games, and I've watched, like, half the TV show. And they're definitely going to be spoilers for this game and this. So, yeah. Okay, um, this I I won't go into spoilers. Oh, no, I, I kind of want you to go into spoilers territory. Okay. Because, like, if if you're going to talk about it fully and your reaction to yeah. it in a way that, yeah. So, um, I don't know what episode you're up to, but, like, and kudos to you for not knowing the ending, really. <laughs> but, so, you know, he's on a journey across infected america to essentially deliver ellie so that they can try and find a way to create a cure for yeah. this this cordyceps so it's is it following the tv show follows the game in that regard doesn't it yeah and to be honest the tv show is one of the best kind of video game adaptations in how it not only follows the story but expands on things and stuff that you kind of only learned through like notes in the game and like journal entries oh, like okay. so if you've seen episode three with bill yeah. um and his partner whose name has just fucking gone out of my head but you know nick offerman did an amazing job oh, that, that, i literally cried watching that episode like it was it was like oh this is you know, you're not going into that kind of thing. You're not expecting anything like that to happen, especially to like sideline characters and becoming attached to people who've known for like 30 minutes. And you're like, yeah, that was, it was great. Yeah. And like, so with, with Bill's relationship, uh, I'm going to have to just fucking. Oh, no, no. If by all means, like, just get the name of like Bill. Details matter. They it's... do matter. Uh, so. His partner is 
Frank, who's played by Murray Bartlett, the bearded, the other beardy, like super hot tank looking guy who's in the hole. Uh, oh yeah, because he finds him in the hole, doesn't he? Yeah. Nick Nick's character has this hole. It feels really. He's weird, got his little yeah. like kind of town, like small town that he's kind of built fence and stuff, which he's you know eventually manages to properly fortify through you know trading with joel and um tess yeah so like that sort of stuff you you meet bill when he's on his own and his partners left him in the game and you only really learn about their relationship through journal entries oh so so the episode actually really kind of expands on and gives you a bit more lore and a bit helps you get to know Bill's character more yeah. and kind of where he was at before he met them and then, you know, who we find him to be eventually. It would be amazing to kind of, if almost like rewarding if you played the game series through and paid attention to that and then you eventually like it clicks and you're like, I know who this person is and what like you know not exactly what's going to happen but it like it you're right it like expands on the game's mm. deeper like hidden messages but the fact there's like an entire episode dedicated to it where like someone who just watched the show might put a lot of importance on it but for someone who's just played the games and then watches over the first time the show even for the first time they might be like oh damn like yeah you don't know what this means that's like, and it was really nice for like you know for someone like myself who has watched a lot of gay relationships in media and a lot of queer relationships in media and usually they're so like defined by tragic events and stuff and sure they're in a post-apocalyptic world where people are infected and they could die at any moment but that's not the important part of their relationship the important part of their relationship is that they're two isolated people who learn to reconnect who learn to you know become human again instead of just isolated survivors yeah it's kind of amazing how they have like there is this like survival aspect to it because these films like a doomsday prepper but also it's like he's kind of a mayor of a town and everything seems very normal mm-hmm. there apart from the fact that there's like a perimeter fence and like automatic like bombs or like traps and everything like the fact that inside it is like this chummy little place is it's kind yeah. of lovely. And, you know, there's this guy who knows about, like, posh wines and knows how to hunt and how to properly cook what he's hunted and oh, can the play music. He, like, cooks people. Like, people kind of seem... It seems like multiple people have turned up and wanted a shower and then he's just been like, you will be wined and dined. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so a really cool thing about The Last of Us show as well, which no other video game adaptation has ever done in TV or film, is that one of the characters from the game, their voice actor actually returned to play the same character. Uh, Mill Dandridge came back to play as Marlene. So you see her in like the first couple of episodes because she is the one who essentially introduces Ellie to Joel and Tess and basically employs Joel to take her to the hospital. So is that does she play the kind of same it's a character like doing it's the literally same thing the, in the same game? character. Oh so even just by side it's kind of in the games did they like do the whole thing where they base her likeness in game on her actual appearance in real life or is it very like 
Um, Marlene kind of, well, like Marlene's a bit older in the game when it like first came out in mm. 2013, and I think Merle Dandridge would have been in her late 30s then. She's like, nah, she's about 48 now, I think. No, it feels like that's more of a modern thing to kind of be like, you're the, you're not just voice acting the character, you're like, well, motion captioning, you, it's you. You're the, yeah. yeah, and like, since arguably sort of around 2005 with Capcom using motion capture to do everything in like Devil May Cry, and then Naughty Dog doing it with Uncharted and essentially performing all the cutscenes with motion capture suits and then recording the dialogue in booths and yeah. you know knowing exactly how the scene's going to go. It helps the voice actors do just so much better and such greater performances and you, you feel like the characters are more fleshed out than they used to be. And I'm a fan of the old video game act, like voice oh, acting. Yeah, like the OG Resident Evil is still one of my favorite games, and the cheesy voice acting and dialogue is a really important part of it. But like where we've managed to like evolve to with voice acting and stuff, especially with how bad like dubbing used to be, with like dubbing international things. Yeah, it, it almost seems like maybe video game voice acting work was a bit of like. Not a low-paying job, but it definitely seems like there's some niche voice actors who, like, that was their jam. Like, mm. that's what they did. And not saying they appeared in every single, like, game possible, but, like, if you look into it now, there's definitely, like, a trend of what they did. Well, if like, if you go back to the 80s, the, like, original sort of anime dubs of things like um, Acura and stuff, like Cam Clark, who voiced Kaneda in Acura, was the voice of Liquid Snake in Metal Gear Solid was the voice of one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, a lot of voice actors have been doing this for a very long time. Yeah, and yeah. They've, they've done it across, like, multiple game series, multiple anime series. And a lot, of ta- a lot of the time when you're watching things, you'll be hearing the same voice actors, but because, obviously, they're so talented, you sometimes you can't tell, but then sometimes you can. Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of plays into, like, I was looking up something. For some reason, I'm, I'm very into Futurama, and the fact that it keeps getting cancelled is a tragedy, but it just needs to die now. But, like, it was about the the voice actor for Fry. I can't, I can't remember what his name is. But Billy like, West. Billy West, yeah, yeah. He's Ren and Stimpy, but he's also Farnsworth and Zoidberg. Yeah, yeah, because he auditioned for, like, loads of different characters, but he used his natural voice for Fry because mm-hmm. it was like, I want this character, and it's really hard to emulate someone's normal voice which seems kind of ironic given that uh, they're a voice actor so surely someone else can like you can imitate it but it'll never sound the same mm-hmm. um but yeah and in voice in futurama alone just as a tangent john dimaggio who voices bender voices a lot of characters in video games he voiced waka in final fantasy 10 wait wasn't he um who's the protagonist in uh, gears of war um marcus phoenix yeah yeah he's, yeah he's marcus phoenix. that was and... like a big thing before it came out it's like the fact that the voice of bender is like and um, like Phil Lamar, uh, the voice of Hermes, he is um, brain. He's vamp in Metal Gear Solid Two, and a bunch of other games and stuff. So like, these actors have been in this game for years, and at the, at this point, you know, when you see a new AAA game coming out, you can kind of predict who the cast's gonna be sometimes, which is cool. Yeah, it's it's nice to see that. It's weird that like. Um... Rockstar games started doing that a little bit more with GTA Five, where like the the fact the main characters they're like they do kind of look like their voice actors, mm. but it was never at like the forefront. But because this game's so big, like this like you're Trevor, you know, like that mm. it's you. Like 
Although I hate Trevor. I what a, the worst. What, like, great performance. Hate the character. It's a bit cliche, isn't it? Everything he kind of does is very, like... He's just so edgy to the point of it's like, wow, it's like 2003 and I'm in a black hoodie with my hood up and I'm listening to, like, Linkin Park in my bedroom while it's raining outside. Yeah. <laughs> but then the thing about the kind of people who play, who play that game, I know it has an 18 rating, but, like, most people playing that game. They're not even 15. <laughs> well, when the first Grand Theft Auto came out, which was like 96 or 97, I, I, or it might have been 98, but I had the PS1 version and I was like 11. That's the top down one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but just to go back to The Last of Us, like, so the quest that Joel's on, Let's just say he doesn't necessarily complete the task that he's asked to. Okay. Which is what lead us, leads us to the events of The Last of Us Part 2, um, which has been confirmed to be, is going to be told over two seasons, simply because of how dense the story of that game is and just how, what the journey that it takes you on, essentially. So, like, it's going to get to a point where... Now, a lot of people didn't enjoy The Last of Us Part 2 because of some of the choices that the writers made. Yes, that is uh, kind of understating it, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think those people are wrong because ultimately it's a game that is designed to make you feel... just feel. Well, like, it, yeah, it's like it's not meant to be another shooting game or even like a third-person action game. Like That's kind of the point. It, the the point is to make you kind of understand that actions have consequences and people will react in ways that you wouldn't expect out of nowhere and how you choose to kind of deal with that. Like, it helps you kind of reflect on what you would do in those kinds of situations and, like, whether you can understand whether there's still humanity in the actions of those characters. Well, it's, it's kind of funny the way you put it that way because it, it's it's not like a multiple choice RPG, but it's kind of funny how like you can have something happen and you're like, I don't necessarily agree with what you're doing, but I understand. Yeah, and that is pretty much like the, the kind of takeaway I have because I recently replayed The Last of Us Part Two for a second time because in all honesty, I love the new character they introduced and I think Laura Bailey did a fantastic job voicing her I think that the fan backlash when the game released and all the death threats and things she got were like ridiculous and the same with Neil Druckmann the game's director and like one of the game's writers it's just like guys they are video game characters yeah, like and so what do you love a character and they you know, their 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 kind of story concludes in a way that you didn't like. That doesn't give you any right to kind of go and attack the people who made the game. Well, like, but on the same like the flip side of that, if if Naughty Dog delivered what everyone was expecting and what they wanted, like say it was like full fan service, people would be like, "This is predictable and boring." Yeah. So you can't really win. Like someone is going to get upset with the direction they've taken. So why not do what you want to do in the original? like in the first place yeah and this is you know ultimately so like a, another series that i like uh, an anime series 
Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so the original ending is the anime ending, and I, I am going to spoil this because it's a like over 25-year-old anime at this point. Yeah, but, we, yeah. <laughs> so on the surface, it's a mecha anime about like conspiracies and like essentially defending the world from aliens with these giant mecha things but what the series is actually about is about the human experience and the experience of depression and kind of how you find your place in society and how you find value as a human so when you say like mecha anime i'm, I'm going with the angle like i've never seen this it's not like the original kind of mecha. No, because the original mechas are from like the eighties. But this, this was made in ninety five or ninety six. Uh, I'm really bad with years right now. But I mean, like, it's we're, we're not we're, names of media illiteracy. Like, we're not exactly <laughs> yeah. claiming to be Wikipedia here. No, exactly. <laughs> but you know, anyone who is a fan of the anime will know and anyone who is interested will look it up anyway but so the anime ending a lot of fans didn't like because the anime ending completely strips away the kind of veneer of the mecha and the conspiracies and stuff and completely kind of goes into the main character's mind after they essentially have a break like a psychotic break and the ending of the show is about how they choose human connection over being alone because that's what gives them value. So does and it kind of like invalidate, not the rest of the storyline, but because you've got all the other characters It, it completely encapsulates and is where the story was going if you were willing to like actually look past what you're seeing on the surface because the show is so much more than, ooh, cool, like mecha fights with giant like angel alien things it's so much more than that um but then because of the fan backlash in the 90s the creator um hideaki he made a film called the end of evangelion which kind of what just to be like (laughs) fine this is the ending you wanted pretty much yeah and he kind of gave basically you you have two choices like you can accept the anime ending or you can also decide that the film ending is how it actually ends but it's kind of funny to imagine how people would have complained though because obviously like the internet did exist it was a thing but like you would have people sending angry letters yep like real letters in the mail and those would those would probably have to be translated for the most part yeah so like (laughs) yeah the anime complaints department (laughs) yep gynax literally got letters from people saying how could you do this? Last two episodes of bullshit. Like, why did you do this? And so forth. So Arno was like, all right, people didn't like that. So I'm going to do this. But there were also letters from people who were like, thank you for making those episodes because they helped me. And they helped me when I was a teenager because not knowing your place in the world is a thing that you most people would suffer in yeah, adolescence like, i'd say definitely something someone could relate to so just for context it's not just like the standard like 10 or 12 episode anime is it it's it's one season of 26 episodes oh okay and then there's the end of evangelion film and then in the last 
10 years, there have been four new films which are under the title Rebuild of Evangelion, which is essentially another perspective on the story. Uh, okay, so it doesn't like change. It's not like we're going to tack something onto the end and change something. Is it just like nah. a different take on the yeah. same kind of thing? Yeah, it's essentially like offering alternative perspectives to what's happened, um, essentially giving you kind of more insight from other characters too, because a lot of the f- like the, the the original series is framed from the point of Shinji, the main character. Well, yeah, but the fact that you said that the main the main series actually ends like going into their mind, kind of mm. it, it does open up that whole like we can do multiple perspectives because you never got this character's perspective in the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like uh, it must be quite creatively freeing to have something where it's not like. I don't want to say Star Wars as a comparison, but there's so much established media around it anyway, and you kind of have to, like, you're shoehorned in a direction, but if it's fully open and people were annoyed at the ending anyway, people are going to eat that shit up and be like, just give me more. I want different takes. Like, Yeah, and, like, with with anything that kind of generates a cult fan base, more is always better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like, I'm very excited to see what, just to go back to The Last of Us, very excited to see what seasons two and three are going to do and how they're going to adapt like certain scenes from the second game. I'm very interested to see how a mainstream audience responds to certain story events. I'm not oh. going to tell you what they are because... I, I like I want to play the game. I'm no, I don't mind discussing spoilers, but like I'm also like I will buy a console and play it to get that because like trying to play it on PC is just no 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 it's not gonna work. <laughs> like they might be good games, but they're not well optimized. <laughs> and the th- and yeah, that's a big problem because when these are your flagship titles, really you want to be putting the best teams on making sure that they're optimized properly. But I know that optimizing for pc games is hard because yeah, especially with like modern tech because i think you've kind of hit like even with the new one of the new jedi games jedi like, survivor that yeah, came out yeah. a couple of weeks ago it's had like seven patches in it's, like two weeks or whatever and it yeah, didn't like, run well people are kind of debating over the uh the minimum the minimum specs we even play it and the fact that it's just like well your pc just isn't good enough it was like yes there is that kind of justification but also like something ridiculously powerful will push through anything and like the fact this that, can't even run at 60 fps on yeah. the most powerful hardware it's, it's like it's sort of sad but like i guess with with sodius it's not excusable but it is also like i feel like it's a bit more insulting because the game's been out for ages it's built this big legacy and you've had time to develop it for this so pla- sole platform yeah pc isn't just you know it's loads of different configurations whatever but like it's not like you were rushing to get this out with the console release no it's like you've just had the tv show come out you've got all this hype well I, you know don't know the if it was before or after, but like it's well, a hype thing now, so well they released uh like the PS5 version of Last of Us Part One in I think it was September last mm-hmm. year as a kind of preamble to the TV show starting in January. And it didn't initially sell well, but with the show it sold really well and like The Last of Us Two has now picked up in sales again as well because people want to know what the fuck happens. Yeah, it's it's crazy how big the story has come because like my boss in work is like he doesn't play video games at all but he's talking about the show yeah same with other co-workers they like they have like maybe on a switch they don't really care about games well it, they're it, like really into the show so it, it broke records set by like house of the dragon and stuff it, like episode by episode it just kept going up and up 
uh, like whether people were streaming it or watching it live like the number of viewers on this show was insane yeah. and you know between this and say like the super mario bros film making a billion dollars oh yeah that is like it's scary it like it gives me a lot of hope for future adaptations of video games because it means that we're past the time of UA Ball films that are just absolutely shocking or like it, it the thing as well with The Last of Us and with Super Mario Bros is the creators had hands in those shows guiding them along and making sure that the source material is respected and that not only is it catering to fans, but it's catering to people who don't know what these things are. Or, you know, with the Mario Bros. film especially, it's not just a kid's film, but it also caters to people who've been playing Mario since 1985. People like myself who started with Super Mario World in the 90s, people who played Mario 64, people who played Mario Galaxy, Mario Odyssey. Like, Yeah, it's kind of like, it's weird how something, like obviously because like Mario as a character is so like, everyone knows about that character but to be able to like have it as a mass appeal but also like honor where it's come from but i haven't even seen it yet i really i want to go see it but I, like i i highly recommend it i mean i probably score it uh like a six out of ten yeah. which is not a bad score like i feel like it's an illumination film yeah like you you know what you're gonna get um, it's very pretty and the story is entertaining. Well, this kind of comes around full circle because Nintendo have just announced that they're kind of taking their movie development stuff in house. Oh, did they? They're going to have their own, like, I don't know if it's Nintendo Pictures or something like that. They'll have a dedicated, like, movie kind of publishing arm or, like, ah. a, a team or something that will get it. I imagine but, that they will probably still work with, like, Illumination to achieve that because yeah. of simply the, the kind of manpower that it like illumination has behind them they have like you know artists and like loads of people who have experience in the industry and have you know made enough films now and know how to kind of not only provide like entertaining stuff that follows you know like a beat for beat formula mm. it, it's you know it's still gonna give you like little surprises on the way too so yeah i guess it's kind of like it's the nuance of just making films isn't it because like a game company it's it's not a movie is it no nah. like but turn, like i'm gonna kind of going by like my favorite video game movie ever which i know is bad but i love the doom movie the doom movie's fun like but the rock has like publicly said that like i'm ashamed of working on it but then <laughs> did you see what the doom twitter account said in response to him what they like just Dwayne. one word Dwayne. <laughs> and the thing is right he's in that film with Carl Urban of Lord of the Rings fame and the boys and, you know, Rosamund Pike, great actress from like Gone Girl and The World's End and stuff. Uh, and also Al Weaver, the voice of Rex from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And he is the worst part of that fucking film. <laughs> but it's like, it's... The Rock wasn't exactly a big deal then. Like, it was like, oh, there's this wrestler. He's doing kind of kooky movies now. Great. And like, Obviously, now he can say that kind of thing, but at the time he was probably like, This is my big break. I'm sorry. Until Vin Diesel put him on in Fast and Furious, The Rock was kind of floundering in like B movie hell and straight to DVD hell. Like, you know, how many 
like films did we see the rock in where he's just on the cover looking hard and oh, walking yeah. tall well, like he, it was that, like jungle. clean shaven same haircut looking into the distance beige like, polo shirt yeah just generic kind of yeah but yeah it's, when when you know like fast five came out and pretty much was the perfect follow-up to fast four because fast and furious four while entertaining is pretty boring it's probably the weekest entry in the franchise i'm gonna be honest like i love those movies but like there are only so many films which i can be like oh that's what happened in that one like obviously they're like tokyo drift and you know one and two like yeah that they're definitely like i'm sorry too fast too furious is easily top three you think so have you ever seen um i don't know if it's too by too furious or it's like it's basically a fan theory about how the two main characters are like two men deeply in love. Oh yeah, Roman yeah. Pierce and Brian. Yeah, yeah. They're, there's they're, like they're, there's real there's real bromance going on down there. And you know, I'm sorry, you've got fucking Ludacris and you've got fucking Devon Aoki, Steve Aoki's sister. Is that, is that who it is? Is that in the pink in car? In the pink car, yeah, yeah. That's her. And you know, in all honesty, it's like. It's directed by John Singleton, who did like Boys in the Hood and like Menace to Society and stuff in the nineties. Yeah. He's a pedigree actor, like he's fucking good, mm-hmm. and he made that film so entertaining. And you got the dude from um, Dukes of Hazard, the beardy hair dude, Wait, the one against the rat on his chest in the bucket. Is that him? Like, yeah. Also, like knowing actors, like I know the faces, but even names. Like as soon as a movie comes up, it's like, oh, is it that person? That person. Like I'm good at like listening to music and hearing like a vocalist and be like that's that person. But oh, like yeah. beyond that, it's like oh I don't know. But, yeah, I like looking at what actors have done is one of my special interests. And we, when we're listening, when we're watching like new shows, if it's like a show with voices, we'll be like, oh my god, that's them. That's X Y Z. We'll we'll go and look them up and be like, oh my god, and yeah. then we'll see who else is in the show and stuff. Mm. But yeah, like. If it wasn't for the Fast and the Furious series, The Rock wouldn't be where he's at. And the way he kind of did Vin Diesel dirty and trying to make himself like the star. Well, what was the spin-off movie? Hobson Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, because that was literally just like The Rock doing his own thing with Jason Statham. Again, I, as I said, I haven't seen that film, but I love the Fast and Furious. I've seen all the Fast movies like, and I really love that series. Um... I know people are like it's got it's not street racing anymore. I don't care. I don't like, give a fuck. It's an espionage action adventure with a fucking multi ethnicity cast, uh, with like shitloads of good representation. Some some choices, shall we say, for villains <laughs> with, with between fucking Gina Carano, who is a bit of a shit, and Ronda Rousey, who is like. A super shit and bad at acting yeah like, but like it kind of doesn't matter because it's like they're part they're just an accessory to keep the story flowing it's not like the whole movie it's not like a james bond villain you know, like you you kind of you're expecting a lot from them mm. they're just like oh here's some window dressing but it's still some like when you rewatch, is it um seven where they're in dubai oh is that when them uh Oh, they're in like this, like a building, and there's like a fast kind of drives one car into the other building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a fight scene between Michelle Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey, and all I kept thinking was, in all honesty, Rousey would just armbar her, armbar her in like thirty seconds, and she yeah, lose. She's literally like, like she's hench. Like mm-hmm. there's no way around it. <laughs> and she's now in the WWE 
although I'm not sure how active she is in that anymore. Yeah, oh, she left. She left the UFC. UFC. Yeah, she left the UFC many years ago and went to WWE. Well, it kind of seemed like her acting career was like that was going to be a thing now, um, but then she was never really. Like, it was like the name, wasn't it? You know, people like love UFC, and like if a name reaches like mass appeal and they happen to be a UFC fighter, that's like, oh, you made it. Like, mm-hmm. and then you know, Neverrealm decided that she should be Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat 11, and that was. A- a, a choice, shall well, the, we say? The game? Yes. Okay, yeah, because there's so many Mortal Kombat and, movies now that, like... No, yeah, in the game and the story, it kind of centers around Sonya as the character, like, as, like, the kind of main character, and it's, like, kind of her story for, like, a, a big part of it, and her voice acting is... Compared to, like, the other vo- voice cast in the game, it is not up to par. Oh, no. <laughs> It's funny what you were saying about like a multi-ethnicity cast in the Fast and Furious series. How like Michelle Rodriguez, Ro- Michelle Rodriguez, yeah. yeah, that's the name, um, wanted to avoid like being typecasted, mm-hmm. so kind of deliberately went after certain roles in certain movies and has accidentally typecasted herself, which, like, oh. but then like you know, Dungeons and Dragons that was fucking badass i love that movie like it was so well i mean we saw it together like it was really well done yeah i i was we were hyped for it from the moment we saw the first trailer you know with whole lot of love by led zeppelin playing it was kind of like all right yeah and like to be honest it was nice to see chris pine having fun in a film because if you watched anything of the interview cycle of don't worry darling like i'm not really kept up with what he does he's kind of like he's an actor he appears every now and then he did star trek like that seemed to be <laughs> yeah so like don't worry darling was like a i don't i don't really know much about the film i know more about the drama around like the making of the <laughs> film because the director olivia wilde left her partner to be with harry styles who was in the film oh but like sometimes don't you think it adds to the film or any piece of media when you're like watching the you're watching it and you're like how this even got released is miracle yeah like the room (laughs) for example (laughs) we're gonna just leave that there that's a mic drop moment because tommy was so spent six million dollars making that film don't even ask where the money went because we don't know (laughs) like yeah, we'll have to put that into another episode. Like, yeah, for sure. Do like a double movie homework thing. Be like, you're gonna watch the room and um, oh, what's the what's the other film called? It's about the room. Oh, the disaster artist. Yes, the disaster artist. Yeah, the one that um, I think James Franco won um, an Oscar or an Academy Award or something. Are they the same thing? I can't tell. It's, it kind of feels like it is. But yeah, but, but yeah. when he was doing his acceptance speech, Tommy was so like walked on stage and tried to kind of hijack the speech and stuff. Tommy Wiseau has a new film coming out soon. It's called Big Shark. It looks terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it would be surprising if it was a good film, given that his, you know, discography, shall we say, (laughs) is so terrible. Yeah. And the thing is, we watched the film Maybe once a year, twice a year, just because of how entertaining it is unintentionally. And we, we noticed that there are two characters who are like the undisputed goats of the film. So, you know, like th- this and these two characters are introduced without their names. They're just like in the flat and they're feeding each other chocolate and then she starts sucking him off. Oh, no, I see. I'm... Mike and Michelle. I'm 
I've only seen the, this movie through memes. <laughs> Bro, you need to watch this film. Like, we all watch this film with you. I swear. This will be good. It's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking entertaining. It's like, is it like Lisa, you're help. Like, Lisa, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> like, that's, bruv, there's so much more. <laughs> but yeah, side characters. But yeah, like, so yeah, Mike and Michelle, they're the two characters who speak the most sense in the film because pretty much everyone else isn't a very good human in the film. Okay. And, but that's because, I mean, whatever tommy was going for when he wrote edited directed produced <laughs> etc this film was kind of he was trying to basically be james dean but he's like 40 odd and not james dean and not even <sighs> talented enough to try and be james dean it's, it's kind of funny when like people make these kind of movies like do you think they kind of like if we tr say we try to make a film intentionally bad and we knew it was bad, and we released it, and we were like, this is going to be a cult film. And, like, how it happens to become one, like, I don't know, I feel like... The thing is, he thought this film was brilliant. And when everyone reacted how they did, he essentially tried to rewrite the narrative around the film instead of it being a serious drama. It's now a black comedy and oh. stuff. So, and in all honesty, the cult following it's gained has probably made him more money than like anything ever because, you know, people want to go meet him. They want to meet this, this guy who, well, yeah, yeah. who, who did this, but like, doesn't he, it's where he does a lot of like, there'll be the showing and then there's a Q and a, mm -hmm. yeah, he does loads of those. Yeah. So, and like, fair enough, I mean, people go and they go and meet him and they get to interact with him and, you know, right. I, I would if he came to the UK because I mean, fuck it. If if he was like a complete weirdo, I mean, you're not exactly expecting him to be like a stand-up kind of human, but also like, even I mean, if it goes badly, you the fans would love that. He he auditioned to be the Joker. Did he? Yeah, there's a YouTube video of him <gasps> doing the Joker audition, and he's pretty much just trying to be Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> Oh no! Anyway, speaking of movies, shall we go on to what we had aside as homework for this oh, week? Yes. So this week's film, or this month, or whatever, whatever the release cycle of this is going to be, this this episode's film, shall we say, is Satoshi Kon's classic Paprika. So it is. Um, I mean, <laughs> what? How would you? What kind of genre would you say this is? I mean. Not that like anime movie is a genre, but I think a lot of people might just put it in that box and kind of ignore it. But I'd go with psychedelic hellscape. Like it's a psychedelic movie. It it's is one hundred percent, and it very much continues a trend that he has had set with pretty much all film and TV like... stuff he made, um, where he kind of blurs the lines between reality and kind of dreams and fantasy and you know just what what could be and what actually is <laughs> it's yeah i mean like just googling this thing like even before we before watching it there was a lot of people who were saying that like um like oh, what's it called inception yeah like it kind of like was Inception ripped this film off. It did, and Which... no, and a lot of um, there's actually a great video on YouTube. I'll show you at some point, but 
uh, a lot of Nolan's most iconic shots in his films have been ripped off from this man, Satoshi Kon. Um, To the point where it's kind of like, okay, like, fair enough, you really like this guy's work, but when you're literally doing a direct shot-for-shot remake of a scene, but in your, like live action film it feels kind of cheap yeah i mean it's nice to have like the odd shot say like people drew like i'm inspired by this and here's mm. like maybe one two or even a, a setting like, yeah like as a little like head nod that's cool but when you start to notice it as a trend like as a trend even um yeah no but anyway you like first of all you recommended this film i did so and i hadn't even watched it but it's because yeah. i have watched other things of his um most specifically one of my favorite animated films of all time perfect blue which if you really enjoyed this you'll love that um but this was satoshi Kon's first kind of computer animated film um all his other stuff was celluloid hand-drawn uh, okay yeah because there's like a few shots where it goes like full 3d for a split second like mostly, you know, to get perspective, what characters are looking at like mm-hmm. when they go down and you know find the thing below that flat. Um, it's not jarring, but it is like you don't really notice that it's drawn on a computer until it goes full three D, and then you're like, oh, yeah, like I didn't realize you could do that. Exactly, yeah. and in all honesty, this film did a lot of stuff before other computer animated films because if you look at not and not to be like a total like japanophile or otaku or whatever but if you look at how most western computer animated films like especially the early ones like you know like shrek and things like that they pretty much don't utilize the medium in a way that is super creative a lot of what they present in the film you could recreate in live action yeah it does feel a bit but then it has that like dated look about it as well like, if you not to go off on a tangent about shrek but like if you if you watch like the latest shrek movie be it whatever number one happens to be on now because let's mm. face it they're going to keep pushing those things out like the first one looks really bare and yeah it, yeah you're right it could just be filmed and like it doesn't do anything weird with the camera and it, not that you expect something groundbreaking for like a 3d animated kids film but like you could do more yeah, yeah. like and the thing with anything like that is it's probably like focus group to hell and back to get the best audience response as possible whereas uh Kon-san Satoshi Kon he pretty much just did what he felt would be the best thing to tell the story he wanted to tell and he's very much he was very much inspired by like directors like Akira Kurosawa and that man edited his own films he oh, shot okay. and edited his own stuff yeah. um uh sadly satoshi khan passed away of pancreatic cancer at age 46 so we won't get any new works from him but the works he left behind are still you know important and impactful and i think that the themes he covers and explores are still things that we can draw so much out of like this film for example yeah, this, this like the fact that like it, most people would name a Christopher Nolan film and probably Inception as one of their favorite movies, and that it is this this did it. But like this is two thousand and six, baby. This was like way before. The, this was like what yeah. four years before or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And like it, 
it explores it in a way more interesting way, I feel. Um, and just the way it even presents the, the dream or nightmare, however you wish to interpret it, especially the fucking parade. Oh my God, the parade. The fact that you said that it was like, Hand, like drawn not hand drawn sorry like animated with computers like it didn't really occur to me during the parade scene until we, until you've said it now like there's a lot of animation going on in that bit oh, like the music in the background of that as well is actually like I love that bit like it's just it was a proper little earworm to the point where like when the parade features again later in the film it's like come on bring the song back yeah like, and they do and they do but one thing I want to ask you about the uh, parade scene especially in particular is how did you feel about the frog marching band? Oh, it made me so happy. I like when what I think it doesn't even you don't even see them until after one character's kind of flipped out or like you know they start attack other, one scientist starts like attacking his coworkers or like running down a corridor or something mm-hmm. and he's just like just basically babbling on about random stuff and then you see it again with, with in person with like the frog. Yeah, it made me really happy. Like. And they they were really well animated, mm-hmm. but like just the fact that it's like they're leading this thing. Yep. Yeah. There was a lot of. I feel like you have to watch this film multiple times. I definitely feel like you'll get a lot more out of it on a second and third watching because what I my like initial kind of response or take from it was, you know is it is it kind of like a treatise or like a like a like a like a discussion around like chasing your dreams or like chasing dreams that are realistic rather than chasing dreams that are too fantastical that you can lose yourself in that and kind of lose your identity because you know the 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 machine is made by the the big dude. Yeah. Uh, I don't. What did you watch it in? Did you watch it in English or Japanese? Um. So, I did watch it in English. We start as I basically I was watching it through Plex and mm-hmm. the servers in North America, and it wouldn't load. Oh, uh, okay. And eventually we we, I, we were, I watched it with my partner, and we were like both trying to like. It, we were just too tired to watch a dub, a sub even. Um. Beard. Which what did you watch it in? We watched it in English. Um. Because I'm gonna be honest. Like this is one of those films where the English dub is actually pretty fucking brilliant and the voice cast is really good it felt like it was animated for english as well i know like because i don't know if it's just the way that plex works but like the mouth movements matched up with what they were saying well this was probably like uh dubbed in a time where they would try their utmost to keep the kind of message of the original dialogue but also try and match what the mouth flaps are doing as well which you know in the 70s and 80s which is where like dubbing gets a bad name from like the dubbing attempts in those times were bad well yeah it's it's weird you say that because like we because we had sub we had subtitle tracks as well Mm. um but because it was through like a media server where someone's like kind of put it all together themselves almost like the the subtitles were presuming that you were watching the japanese version like natively same on the blu-ray as well because like the localization i feel like did a better job of translating what the japanese would be saying um because i felt like the subtitles were pretty rudimentary and quite short sentences yeah, at they, times and like it's when there was like a massive disconnect between what they were saying and not the message would change but it would be like it would use very different words to get to that point and you're like 
we're just going to turn this off because otherwise you'd be reading it distracted from what they're actually saying mm -hmm. and then what you leave the experience with is like arguably not what happened in the slightest so yeah and you know sometimes there are mistranslations when things are dubbed um even now in modern times like kingdom hearts 3 one of square enix's like flagship game series like one of the lines in in the end of the game is kind of completely mistranslated and completely gets the message wrong oh no but i, I feel like a lot of care was taken when this was translated and dubbed to ensure that you know the complexity of what they're talking about is you know upheld because like <laughs> there's just so much going on and so much information not only being presented to you through dialogue but visually because you know show don't tell no, the, yeah, the, yeah. the rule number one of cinema well, it, it seemed like it was very like you, you said this a while ago we we're having a conversation it was like it feels like western films are kind of like there'll be a character that like we're going to find you and we have to explain everything and that simplifies the fact that the audience can just understand because they've had the whole story explained to them while in this it's like shit just happens and you're like you it doesn't tell you and it doesn't even acknowledge it it's just like well we're gonna roll with this if you didn't pay attention that's it like the yeah. movie's still gonna happen um to the point where it's like the subtle hints that like paprika and i can't even remember her her name at Chan, we'll call her. Yes. Because I've forgotten her full name as well. Um, the little, like, the shot where she's, like, driving along the motorway and then, you know, changing lanes and then she changes mm -hmm. paprika. But then there's the whole... The weirdest thing is the standout bit for this movie was how many times they said paprika. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it wasn't annoying, but it was very, like, okay. Well, but... that's the thing you have when the character is the title of the film. Yeah, yeah. And in all honesty, I still don't understand myself based on just one viewing paprika's kind of what her agenda was in all this because she's essentially like another side of atchan yeah she... who essentially i guess is like almost like the person she wishes she were a bit more carefree and yeah, a bit cause... less kind of highly strung because even the like the administrator, yeah, is the administrator, the guy with the wheelchair, mm -hmm. like labels Paprika as a terrorist that's like hijacked this technology or might have even stolen the device. Um, but and like it's weird how there's like the policeman kind of picks up on the fact that like the Paprika might be someone out. Like it's suggested. It's never mm. kind of like. And not until near the very end, it's like, oh, you are one and the same. And yeah. even then, at that point, like, Paprika kind of splits off and becomes her own person. Yeah. Which is like, oh, what? It's, yeah. And, you know, when when you when you're, you're big man, he becomes the robot guy that he had on, like, his T-shirt and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, essentially this film, it also presents, like, unrequited love and also kind of the kind of how especially how Atchan can't seem to reconcile the fact that she's attracted to like this really big fat guy because he's intelligent and like he's a genius and he developed this machine like she 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 deeply cares for him but oh, yeah, yeah. she kind of is almost kind of if there's like like almost social kind of things that make her feel embarrassed because you know she is you know a, a typically attractive person and he 
in the eyes of society at least would not be considered such even though you know he's a genius yeah i mean even the way she interacts with the characters talking about him when they're like walking away it's like oh he's just he's just a kid really but like and like yeah you get that kind of carefree attitude from his character i mean maybe you don't pick up it immediately but like that kind of makes the whole thing that he made this dream machine almost more like adorable like, yeah it takes away how like sinister it could be with like the fact that like the the yeah because yeah. he he really didn't you know with the the thing they're using it for ultimately or at least the their initial kind of hopes for using it in you know treating people with psychological conditions and mental illness you know that is a pure and you know noble goal to try and achieve and then it's distorted in a way to kind of almost do the opposite of what they wanted it to do yeah it's kind of funny how like the administrator is like at the very beginning when he's first introduced as a character he's like when he's this is like obscene why would you even try to do this in the first place like i can't believe like we this, allowed this, this to happen this fucking projecting professor x yeah. looking head ass who is secretly like a gay man who kind of manipulates his own staff member to sell his body to him so he can have access to the machine yeah. and stuff yeah it's like and that guy had like a way too much for a loyalty to him which it it didn't really make sense like i guess like you said multiple viewings would be rewarded for this, mm-hmm. but like initially it was like whoa hold on you were so against this and you want to use it for like the big evil thing that you were afraid of but but well, you that, want to do it you don't want anyone else to you want to be the one to do it that for me just felt like he was kind of projecting to try and cover his own tracks and essentially he wanted to well ultimately his goal was to try and merge reality with the nightmare as it was going to become yeah because it amalgamated everyone's dreams amalgamated into one parade of hell well just a cacophony of chaos essentially and even having that the the co-creator of the machine like stuck in in the dream himself Mm -hmm. and he he never presents inside the dream as himself is it he's like that doll yeah that in itself is quite messed up and like the only bit you kind of just see the the, the bigger man like it, i really wish you knew his name it's kind of um but you know you see him like he wheels him out and he's talking to him before he goes in and it's like there's this whole kind of weird jealousy between them about who created it and whatnot um but like the playfulness of that moment between those two characters is almost like that's kind of sweet but like everyone else is thinking they were just trying to like outcreate each other mm-hmm and so yeah, so just to go through the cast, uh, we've got uh, Doctor Chiba, who uh, uh, at Atsuko, so that's At Chan slash Paprika, uh, Tokita, which is the the big dude. Uh, let's see, the fucking chairman is Seijiro Inui, and Doctor Shima is the cheerful little little guy oh that guy is is great he was really good and his facial expressions and his animations were just so like hyper exaggerated and brilliant yeah it was kind of weird when um like again some of the characters sort of like they'll just start blurting out random things but it's like oh wait they've sort of been caught up in this whole dream thing and they've sort of begun the well like i mean you're never really sure whether you're awake and in 
your kind of perception of reality or whether you're in just another part of this dream because you know as you know paprika travels through the dream and eventually gets to like the tree root stuff where in all honesty i thought it was going to go a bit evil dead and i was a bit like oh god are we really going to go here please no it did get a little bit kind of I'd say uncomfortable, especially when he was like strangling her, but also forcing like a vine down her throat. Oh yeah, that that when when that was happening, it was very much like we've we've all seen where this goes. Like yeah, the we've internet all, like tentacles. Like. Yeah, and it was just kind of like I I think as like you know as a as a, a piece of art created in its time and place, you know it's fair enough. Um, but like watching those kinds of things now. Like, it always feels a bit weird to have, you know, women characters be put in a, you know, vulnerable position where it is it is kind of sexualized or yeah, the, eroticized. It, it, even the way, like, that guy that was serving the, the administrator just, like... Just oh, yeah, awesome eye, yeah. And it was like... In in the moment, it was kind of distracting. It was like, that, that is a very well-animated boob grab. But also, it's like... If this was a male, two male characters interacting, you would have never done that. Mm-hmm. It's like very like, like say, kind of forced sexual sexualization. But like, well, it's just I think that as 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 we like evolve as a, a species of storytellers, I think that we've just got to move past or like women can only be vulnerable when they're like subjugated by a man in a way that it kind of is sexualized or like they're. It's 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 obvious. I feel like it's it's honestly like such a big discussion to have that we'll just we'll just shelve it. But yeah, because you could we could go for like hours about this. On its, yeah, on its own, and like, like you know, like the just just to touch on like one thing that it kind of reminded me of is how like have you played the reboot Tomb Raider series? I've I've watched people play it on Twitch. Okay, um, so it. It is written by a woman as well, but like in the 2013 game and then in the film adaptation from 2018, there is a scene where one of the people on the island does like essentially grope and feel up Lara while while they're attacking her. And she obviously does get like, she fucks them up, but like it's always always kind of like, why is it when it's a woman, do we have to have this? (laughs) Yeah, it's... Yeah, I think it's but on the flip side. If it was like a man on man, or even if it's like a woman attacking man, I don't know if I feel like any. I character feel like it's just... still possible to be done between two characters of any gender, yeah, but yeah. it's just such a I don't know. It's such an easy thing to lean on because you know, obviously, it's an it's an automatic sympathy empathy vote because you're like they're hoping that they get like they get out of this situation without you know too much trauma yeah it's kind of weird it always sometimes it kind of feels like we get that this this happened it feels a bit i don't want to say immersion breaking because obviously some like hard topics should be part of media yeah but it's like ah, oh, did you did you have to include this maybe you felt like the fight wasn't working out and you were like i need something to like just take it off the rails and we'll go somewhere else like it always feels forced which kind of sucks but i don't know if that's like a problem with me or just like no i just, think that is a a valid take because like i said like why do why is it when we put women in vulnerable positions in media that they're always under essentially 
a sexual attack. Yeah. And I think we as storytellers really need to move past that. But I don't think that takes away from, you know, the great storytelling in the film and ultimately I still don't know what the message of the film is. Well, it kind of, yeah, it doesn't really explain itself, but it's kind of nice because you could take anything away from it. Because, like, at some points, like, the fact that it's later revealed that, like, the dreams and reality are kind of blurring, it feels like that started happening in the first 20 minutes. You know, Paprika's with the, the policeman, and, like, it's Paprika interacting with him. Yeah. So has he had it before and she, he's seeing her? Like, it raises all these questions, which it, it's nice that there's not, like, a little scene at the end where it was just, like... Oh, I did it this way. This oh, happened. yeah. Like, because like, that is a problem with a lot of modern media now where rather than allowing, you know, your audience to essentially have discussions like this and give you more questions than answers, but still have an ending that's satisfying and succinct and does have clear things to say, but also has a lot of ambiguity for you to interpret, a lot of media now in the last 10 or 15 minutes we'll have just a character be like oh so this all happened because of x y and z like did you watch the loki series no but i know i need to watch it okay like, but then i i kind of find that like we're trying to watch a marvel thing now is a very daunting task because mm. there's so much stuff that goes like you can't just watch one and enjoy it It almost feels like oh you need to watch this series in this order to appreciate it with this movie before and this and the like i want to watch it but anyway yeah but I mean, okay, then I won't go into what I was going to do. No, no, I mean, I, I, I'm not that invested, so feel free. So <laughs> the Loki series introduces the kind of current, like, big bad for, like, this phase of Marvel, Kang the Conqueror. But, like, the final episode is just 30 minutes of him basically fucking monologuing, oh. explaining everything that's happened and what he what his grand plan is. And it's just kind of like... I did not need this. No, if I think I think like even with the the original phases of like the like the first one with like it, you get a lot of it revealed in the post credits scenes. Mm -hmm. But then you can kind of like if you watch multiple movies and you pick up on like a little bit or like a tiny bit of dialogue at the end, maybe you can piece it together. And people yeah. kind of have this big like internet discussion, to like a massive fan theory of oh this is what's going to happen. But like having someone just explain it kind of takes that all away. Yeah, and a lot of video games do this where it's like the last hour, the like the final chapter will just be like, you know, your villain who you've been chasing talking for half an hour before your fight and basically essentially recapping your last 15 to 20 hours. And it's just kind of like, I, I know all this. I've played it. Yeah, like I was there. <laughs> I, I, I was there and, you know, I paid attention because that's what I do when I'm consuming media. Like oh. I don't just... Like the only stuff I put on in the background to like, like you know, be junk food TV or films is stuff that I've seen a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> always put on like a sitcom that you're like oh, I've seen this episode loads. But like it's funny how you say that with with stories because like there's this game called Warframe, which mm. you know it does have a story. It actually has a story. Mm. Um, uh, but it's essentially like a an MMO almost. Or yeah, like a, yeah. It's kind of like a you know. Not like a dungeon crawler, but it's like a, a four-player co-op. Like yeah, it's it is kind of like yeah. like Destiny or like yeah, things yeah, like, like that. A, yeah, um, like a collectathon kind of thing. But like the um, like a loot loot game. Yeah, loot, yeah, loot game. Yeah. Like loot and build and craft things basically. Mm -hmm. But like through randomly generated levels. Um, I have over a hundred hours in that game. I did not know it had a story. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> every time a cutscene came out, I was like, I don't care, I'm skipping this. I just want to play the game. But like, there are m- probably multiple hours of cutscenes now. Like, in you know, for, it's obviously been out for quite a few years. There's mm. a lot that's been built into it. But it's like, it didn't matter because I just want to be a space ninja flipping around. Yeah, but and like, yeah, some games are like. It's great that there might be a story, but ultimately, like, some games, you are there entirely for the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. It's like the opposite of a walking simulator, where it's like, I just want to walk through a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny, because, like, Death Stranding's, like, closing act is, like, two and a half hours of cutscenes. But it's fucking brilliant. It does sound like... stupid. Yeah. Like, it features the line, like, Mario and Princess Beach... Is there actually a place in the game called Princess Beach? Well, there, there's a beach, and essentially the main <laughs> character, played by Norman Reedus, has been kind of chasing Armelie, played played by Lindsay Wagner, across the United States, mm. and they end up on a beach at the end, and they're running along the beach, and it's it sounds poetic. <laughs> <laughs> but like, imagine if you if you were just playing a game as like a casual kind of gamer, like oh yeah, my evenings just begun. I'm gonna complete this game today, and then you have to sit through a two-hour cutscene. Like, I guess you know you know it, it comes with like those kind of games and that director, but like a, a lot of games now will forewarn you, like you know, you're at the end, there's no there's no turning back from here and stuff like that. So you can kind of know, okay, it, like depending on the type of game you're playing, like if it's a JRPG, you know like the boss is going to take half an hour and there's going to be like half an hour of cutscenes. So strap yourself in for at least another two or three hours. So like at least then it gives you kind of the opportunity to be like, okay, maybe it's like 11 p.m. and I'm working the next day. So I will stop here and pick it up tomorrow. But yeah. like some games don't really warn you. And then like no. you're sitting there like 90 minutes into a cutscene and you're like, okay, but like, can I can I go to bed now? But it's like it, it's kind of possible to do that on modern consoles as well because you can just press the home button; it will just literally take you out of it. Yeah. But like, imagine if if you would if the latest Super Mario Galaxy game had like a one hour cutscene at the end, you'd be like, Nintendo, what have you done? Why you like, do this? We do not need this. <laughs> oh god, it feels like we've we've only touched on like one or maybe two topics that we have listed in the document. But I think that's fine because it means that. The next time we connect, we can just focus on the other things and then plan ideas yeah. further ahead, which um, I think is great. And I think that, you know, we have riffed a lot on media so far. And I think that this might be a good point to kind of reach a conclusion and, yeah. you know, maybe give let's give paprika kind of a score and a kind of maybe maybe a little mini review yeah so do you want to go first with that i mean yeah gotta go first like i enjoy i I always don't want to give it like uh, how are we going to do our categorizing of like are we going from like stars or like 10 out of 10 or like well well, my my personal kind of review scoring system is out of six Oh, six is going for like the YouTube comment, old YouTube style, almost. Almost. It kind of, like, a six, it, it like, a six out of six wouldn't even be a perfect film, but a film that is perfect, even with its imperfections. Something like Everything Everywhere All at Once is definitely like a six out of yeah. six. I would definitely give Paprika a six out of six because 
it tells a story that leaves you guessing all the way through and it's editing drives that story and drives the narrative like so many shots just left me like mouth wide open like how did they come up with putting these two shots and composing these together and then like taking us through like essentially just like a wormhole of a nightmare slash dream yeah because it's weird how it like even if you don't know what's going on you can tell that something's happening and like even the, the shot choices and like the way like all the action is interwoven or like character interaction goes it's always progressing and you can feel like it's going somewhere um so i think i'd have to give it like a very strong five yeah but like i enjoyed it but i can't tell you why because i'm not really sure why but i re- like i'm definitely gonna watch it again and i think it needs multiple viewings but like there's so much nuance to it that isn't explained and i think that that's a perfectly fair score and uh, in all honesty whenever i've watched a new anime film i've always come away with like okay i i know a lot of stuff happened and i know that that's how it ended but I'm not entirely sure what I need to take away from that because there was there's always so much information being presented on screen even when it's just you know two characters talking like when the when Paprika and the detective are talking in the in the cinema screen and they're talking about how shots are composed oh yeah and the fact that he doesn't like movies yeah yeah and like the 180 degree rule and how if you cut and break that rule, it can make an awkward edit and an awkward shot. And if the only reason you should ever do that is to make a point of there being like a change that you need to present. Yeah. So like it's it's just it's it's rich, it's dense, it's like a really good cake. You just want to order it again. Like like it's like your favorite new york vanilla cheesecake like it's just I, I i am ready to go back for more and i honestly expect like in the next year you're probably gonna get the frog army tattooed on you oh god i, I don't need i mean i do need more frogs like yeah, i've got the the wizard frog now but yeah the it's it's like a feast for the eyes i don't know even if you've watched it on mute you know it doesn't matter yeah like, like it just looks stunning yep um and, you know, considering it's now 17 years old and where we've come at with, like, um, animated films, like, I'd say it still holds up better than a lot of films that have come out in the last 10 years. Yeah, especially with, like, the plot line. Even though it's kind of funny how in-depth some of the characters go with describing how the Dream Machine works and how it was created, uh, yet, like, you know, we could talk about how it was made, like, the, the actual thing in the film itself, mm-hmm. but, like, in terms of, like explaining what the hell is happening is <laughs> very much up for you to decide but like saying that out loud now it kind of feels like the fact that there's you're just watching people discuss this thing is almost like a distraction from the fact that the story is like going completely batshit yep and you know like it was really great to see the the corridor shot where he's running and it goes all wibbly wobbly in yeah. context and the fact that like it reveals that it's a film that him and his friend made yep that yeah, that bit was like, oh, you know, when you're watching something and you suddenly have this like, because oh, yeah, like no. even like, the story is cat and mouse with who the real criminal is and like, like what the real criminal is because you think it's the detective looking for whomever shot that person in the corridor, but really that's a film he made with his friend that 
did all right and people enjoyed it, but he ultimately, like speaking as a creative and you've created things, you know, whenever you present something you've created to other people, they might enjoy it, but you're always like watching or listening to it thinking, oh, I sound like shit there or like that edit or cut or the way the audio is mixed is not good. Yeah, there's... I mean, like you're always more critical because it's your work. Yeah, it, even we made, we've made music together. Yeah, and like it's it, it will never be good enough. No, you know, like and obviously there's a point where you can create something and not really care about it and just be like, oh, okay, whatever, go away. But like it's balancing that like love and attention to detail and just being able to release things. And then there's obviously like creating something from scratch is amazing, but being able to create something, release something, and then do that again, yeah, is almost the step above. Yeah. Like, yeah. And this is what separates, you know, someone like Satoshi Kon, you know, from from us as I would argue aspiring creatives yeah. because while we both have done, you know, creative work in multiple different industries, like I'd say that, you know, as as people we might still be essentially trying to discover what our voice is and what we want to say. Yeah, even even like as far as like the way we want to say things. It's like, it's it's hard to find it, isn't it? And to be like, this is like, I mean, just making a movie on its own is a massive undertaking. But when you're like playing with time, and like dreams, and having like this very like, you know, this you couldn't do this as your first piece of work. No, like it takes a lot to even get to this stage. So, and yeah. like you know, this kind of represents, I'd say, the culmination of everything he did before, but in a completely new medium because everything he did before was hand-drawn and then... Oh, is this the first film he This did, is like... the first film he did, computer-animated, out like, moving away from celluloid, mm. like, hand-drawn stuff. It kind of feels like, knowing that, it seems like maybe the medium had to be pushed because it was like, well, we have computers now, we can just add as many... We can have a lot going on. And, yeah, and, like, he... He never puts anything in a shot that doesn't need to be there. And that is what's so beautiful about it, because you know, it, just considering the the nightmare parade, like the fridge has a stereo in it, but also has like a microwave on top with something in it, and like every little thing is kind of stacked on top of each other. Kind of how like dreams feel, like yeah. it's it's like this amalgamation of things you've seen, but blended together in a way that you almost don't recognize them, but you do recognize them. It's uncanny, but there's like a verisimilitude. Like, so it's like cl almost the real world, but it's not. Oh, yeah, you get that when like, if you have a dream and you wake up and immediately you're like, that was crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And you, in your head, you're like, it's crystal clear. And like you try to explain it to someone else, and then you realize you haven't really paid attention at all. Yeah, it's like with all those details in it, kind of funny how it all builds up to become one like nightmare of stuff. Just, yeah, yeah. Because like even at the peak of the movie, like the fact that the guy's watching the film and he's like realizes what's happening and just punches his way through the wall. Like, yep. Yeah. Or like even with, yeah, the setup for that initially when he walks into like he's with Paprika and they're going down that like boulevard with loads of cinemas everywhere mm -hmm. there's like billboards up and he's just like oh I don't like movies and all the lights go out to the point where he's like actively choosing to go to see a film and then punching his way into it basically is like oh this is powerful like this is a big moment for that character and um, just as uh, like a closing 
fun little Easter egg as well. At the very end of the film, when you see that street again, you see a poster for his other film, Perfect Blue, and another film, Tokyo Godfathers, that he oh, did. That? Yeah, so like, oh. though, it, it's like a really nice kind of, almost kind of intertextual like reference where it's like, so yeah, th- this this could be our world, but is it? Yeah, that's the nice. It's weird how like you know, saying how there's lots of things to talk about in, in this movie for like just people discussing it in general. While like it feels like at the end of Inception, there's a lot of focus on that final shot where the totem's spinning, and then like the guys, that, kids and, are in the background, and that's it. it. Yeah, but like there was so much discussion focused on that that it's like th- there was a whole other film there. Yeah, you know, like, there's like, so much else that packs into it, but the fact that it's almost like this forced discussion. Well, with this, it kind of leaves you wondering, like, you need to like have a nap after this thing. <laughs> it, it does kind of leave you in a sense of kind of feeling overstimulated, overwhelmed, but not in an unpleasant way. In a way that you're kind of like, there was so much information, and I'm not entirely sure what to do with it or how to process it. Yeah. It was a lovely watch. I have no idea how we're going to follow it up for another episode of like what to pick because that's I, such a like. I already have an idea. Uh, so it's Ariasta's second film uh, called Midsommar. Yeah. It. Uh, all I know is it is a horror film. Okay. And it stars Florence Pugh, um, and. It, it, it's it's pretty fucked. Nice. That's that's. I mean, wait, yeah. the, the same same director. No, okay, um, yeah. Ariasta. Uh, he's made three feature films now. So his first film was Hereditary. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then second film is Midsommar, and then his newest film, Bo is Afraid, is coming to the cinema, I believe, this week in the UK. As oh, okay. stars Joaquin Phoenix. Or yeah, I don't think anyone can actually say his name properly. <laughs> No, I think I think that is how you pronounce his name. He's River Phoenix's brother. Um, he's an incredible actor. He's he's done he's done some great films, and he's done Gladiator. When he was in Gladiator, yeah, he's the he's the bad dude. He's oh, the, okay, yeah, and the that guy. Oh yeah, it's funny how um it feels like oh, who's the actor? Who's the Mandalorian? Uh, Pedro Pascal. Yes. How like the internet has decided collectively we love this man. And it was like, well, he was there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a lot of actors like that. Um, well, we have hit we're at like an hour and 25 minutes. Well, I would say that's a good, it's almost feature length. It's almost yeah. about the same length as Paprika. Yeah, it's kind of poetic. Good, I like it. Yeah. So for the first episode of Media Illiteracy, there we are. A, bit of discussion around video games the last of us and adaptations and we're definitely going to go in a bit more depth i'd say next time yeah it feels like we kind of like got lost in tangents but also like that's sort of the point that is the point because as much as i would like to say i am quite media literate having you know studied english literature and things and been watching a lot of media for a long time so I tend to think a lot about the things I watch and I'm very careful choosing the things I watch because I want to kind of be almost not just entertained, but like challenged and kind of energized and feel stimulated 
by the things I consume. Yeah, because there's like there's so much choice out there now. Like I think there's a whole like choice anxiety thing where it's like if you had a streaming service, be it anything, if there were like a thousand movies in front of you or three, it's always going to be even if you don't want to watch one of the three. Like that will always be the easier thing to pick. So like honing in on like intentional viewing or listening, whatever you want to do, is like quite important these days. One hundred percent. So thank you, good sir. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. How many episodes are we gonna do? (laughs) I mean, I'm 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 happy to just like you know, we've done this one. I say we think about. Well, I say we discuss this after we've yeah. pressed stop but <laughs> if you've taken the time to listen all the way to the end with us thank you so much yes, thank um, you very with, much. with the next episode we'll set up a social media and be able to plug that and you know maybe we'll set up a patreon because that will help support us in our consumption of new media yeah yeah i mean it's it's almost just like a, a tipping jar i don't know like I know that you know it, it's it's quite a common thing for content creators on the internet to do this, and you know if you, if you really enjoyed listening to us and want to interact with us in a in any kind of way, whether you liked what we said or felt you disagreed with what we said, we're here to have a healthy discussion about it because ultimately that's the best thing about having you know different interpretations of media. Yeah. So. Like we'll uh, we'll see you in the comments section. Peace, maybe. <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. Goodbye.